Leoman, good morning, everybody. Good morning. If we have not had the uh, pleasure of meeting yet, if it's your first time here, let me introduce myself. My name is Xander Berger. I'm the associate pastor here of Youth and Discipleship, and I'm very thankful that you are with us this morning. Um, and if you were here last Sunday, you heard Gabe petition you all to be in prayer for both himself and myself as we had pretty intense weeks uh, educationally as uh, we're both working on doctorates. Um, so thank you for all of your prayers. Um, I'm sure we have a plethora of stories that we can share with you about just the, the fun that is diving deep into the Word of God um, in that academic way, and hopefully it just yields benefit to you, the church. It's why we do it. Uh, and with that being said, I invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 6. We will be continuing our way through the book of Matthew, looking at verses uh, 16 through 18 in the sixth chapter of the first gospel of Matthew. And uh, before we read that scripture together, I'd like for us to begin this morning by hearing the life of one of the great desert fathers. If you don't know who the desert fathers were, it was a highly influential group of monks and church leaders in the very early stages of the church. The specific church father uh, I would like to point out here, this desert father, his name was Moses. Moses the Ethiopian, also known as Moses the Black, also known as Moses the Avenger. Moses was born somewhere around the year 330 AD. So he is quite long ago um, born and died. And the reason I want us to look at his life is I think it will help us illuminate the text this morning. And so let me tell you a little bit about St. Moses the Ethiopian. He was born a slave. He was born a slave and was considered to be too violent and too rambunctious by his slave owner, so they dismissed him to the streets. It was on the streets that he had to fend for himself, and he took to a life of crime and of violence. Probably no too different than most of the modern stories of gang violence that we hear about our modern cities. But he grew up on the streets, and he found that he was really good at violence. He found that he was quite um, skilled with thievery as well. Eventually, he rose through the ranks, if that's what you want to call it, and he became the leader of a 75-man band of thieves. He committed countless murders, stole from people all the time, and he was a bad, bad man. Not Leroy Brown, but St. Moses the Ethiopian. Badder than a junkyard dog. I think he's actually meaner than a junkyard dog. I haven't heard the song in a while. But it's to say that he was a bad, bad dude. In fact, his story to his faith, his conversion in Christianity began when he took a blade into his mouth to swim across a crocodile-infested part of the Nile River because he said, I want to steal from that nobleman's house. And his band of thieves said it was too dangerous to go, but he plunged into the waters, swam his way across, and was caught by a guard dog that alerted the guards, and he was chased and pursued. He made his way into the desert, found a monastery, and claimed sanctuary. So that man, as long as he was inside the church, he could not be arrested. And there he experienced such kindness, such generosity from the elders of this monastery that he said, I want to become a Christian, I want to convert, and I want to become one of you. I want to like, spend the rest of my life dedicated to this God who has followers such as yourselves who are so nice. They said, no, you're a violent man. This is a ploy for you to get out of a prison sentence. We'll let you stay because we're nice, but you're not going to become one of us. And so he committed to fasting and to praying until they would see who he truly was. It was written down that no conversion had ever seen, been seen before of such vice to virtue. 
He became so dedicated to aestheticism. That just means a life dedicated to rejecting everything of pleasure. He only ate the food that was necessary for him to survive. He only drank the liquid that he would need to survive. That every single day, he would walk about 20 miles there and back to receive water and food for the other people of the church. And he would fast multiple days out of the week in a row in that desert heat. Now, it might not be Georgia heat, but I don't know how he did it. And he would walk in this way, fasting and praying constantly. When people would offer him food or drink during these seasons of fasting, he would say, I don't need it. I'm just searching for the Lord. A life dedicated to such fasting. It is also true that he was so violent in his temper and in his temperaments that those didn't just fade away. Before he could become a priest, he was sat down, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, and he was told to get out of the church as a test by the other priest to see how he would respond because he was a violent man. And when he rose silently, apologized for any inconvenience that he might have caused, said a blessing to them for the Lord, and he went to leave. The church fathers called him back in and said, truly you are conquering your demons. We want you to become a priest. That very night, this is a wild truth, I encourage you to look up his story, Four thieves broke in through the window of where he was sleeping to murder him and steal all that he owned. 1v4, he beat them all, injured them heavily, tied them up, and brought them into the sanctuary where they would find that they were original followers of his band of 75 thieves and murderers. And they said, this is no man that we have known before. There's no way that you're the Moses that we used to follow. And he kept them there until all of them converted to Christianity and they became his first four disciples in the faith. And then they also became dedicated to a life of fasting and of prayer. By the end of his life, he would have 75 exact disciples that he brought to Christianity and brought up in the faith. It is by the Lord's providence that he had 75 in his band of thieves and then he had 75 disciples on the other side. And it is true that the way his life ended is when some individuals found out that it was that Moses who was in that monastery down the road. They sent an emissary to say, we're coming to murder you and everyone that you know and love, and we're going to steal everything that you have. And he told all the other elders to leave, that it should be fulfilled that he who lives by the sword dies by the sword, as Christ teaches in Scripture. I lived by the sword. I must die by the sword. I will stay here, and I will fast and pray for them until they kill me. And so the rest of the church was able to exit and he stayed behind to die a pretty brutal death for the sake of the Lord. The reason I tell you this story is because he was dedicated to fasting and to prayer. And that is the subject matter of the text this morning. So if you will please stand with me for the reading of the word of God, reading Matthew chapter six, verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for mornings like this where we are able to sing your praises, to give back what you have already blessed us with, and to be filled with the fellowship of believers. I pray this morning that this text will come alive, that it will genuinely, radically change us, that everything we do will be for your glory. Bless this time that we have together. It is in your name in which we pray. Amen.
Go ahead and have a seat for me, if you will. Now, I think it is appropriate that before we dive into this text, we make sure that we actually know what it is primarily talking about, which is fasting. It starts off by Christ saying, and when you fast. So let's find out what is fasting and what fasting is not. We have to understand these two things. So first mentioned in Exodus chapter 34, fasting was mentioned when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to be with the Lord, and it says that he did not eat and he did not drink for 40 days and for 40 nights, and the Lord wrote upon the tablets. That is when he was in the presence of the Lord. This is the first mentioning of the idea of fasting. That doesn't mean that fasting was not a practice of the faith before Exodus chapter 34. It just means that that was the first time it was mentioned. From there, it is mentioned about 70 more times, just a little over 70. So clearly, this is important to the Lord for him to mention it over 70 times. Clearly, it is of some significance, and clearly, it is a part of the practice of the Christian faith. Fasting, if you do not know, is the action of not eating or not drinking. Now, you might have heard some people refer to taking a fast from social media. You might have heard of someone taking a fast from a certain type of food or a certain action in any regard. I will throw myself forward and say, I have fasted from television. I have fasted from social media in my life. And many of you in this room, I have heard say similar things. And that is not to say that that is not the action of fasting in a more, like, in a broader sense. But when scripture refers to fasting, it is always referring to food and drink, both at the same time, to abstain from these things. There is no limitation or expectation for how long a fast should be. You can fast for one meal. In fact, that's where we get the word breakfast from. It is you breaking the fast of the evening. I didn't know I was fasting every night, but I'm pretty proud of myself now. Usually like eight to nine hours a night, I'm fasting. I'm, I'm doing this great. And so that's when we break the fast. It is also true that fasting does not have an expectation of time. If you are to enter into a biblical fast from food and for drink, there is no time in scripture in which it is said that that must be one day or two days, one hour or 20 hours. There is no expectation for the length, duration, or any format that is given to the biblical fast. It is also necessary for me to point out that this is not obligatory. Nowhere in scripture is fasting mandated. Now, we go back to the first words of verse 16. It says, but when you fast, clearly there's an expectation from Christ that you're going to fast because he says, when you fast. He didn't say if, he said when. Specific words mean very specific things. So when he says, when you fast, and then he gives an expectation to it. So it's not obligatory, but it is clearly a practice of the faith that we should do. Now, there might be some in the room who are either thinking about a friend of theirs or themselves who have some medical or dietary need for food. An easy example would be diabetics. You need some form of sugar. Now, it is true that scripture is not calling you to fast in such a way that would be bodily unhealthy. But scripture does present that if your desire is to fast, that you will be able to find a way to fast. If you are only able to fast through one meal for whatever reason, then that is something that you are able to have peace with the Father over. So if any of you have come into this room expecting 
that a sermon on fasting is going to say that you can't eat for three days, be of good cheer. That is not what I'm going to say to you. That is not what the text says to you, and therefore I will not say it to you. We shall not go beyond the bounds that Christ has given us. But it is to say that there is an understanding that within the Christian practice, we must desire to some avail to fast. It is not seen as an escape, but as a measured, thought-out perspective to take your medical reasons to not fast. So if you do have a reason in which you cannot fast, that should not be seen as an escape, but it should be something that you well thought out and you reason. You cannot be shamed for not fasting if it is something that you are not able to do well. Now, this is something that we also must point out because this is an easy thing for it to creep into our minds. Fasting is no mechanism to give more weight to our prayers. If you are praying about something, and fasting is always joined with praying, it is never separate. But if you are in fasting over some prayer, it does not magically improve your prayer. It does not give it extra weight or authority in any sense of that phrase. It is a personal tool as we will walk through in a minute, but it is not something that makes your prayers more potent or powerful, no more influential, and it is not the modern idea of manifesting. You might have heard this in multiple different formats. It is a very popular idea of the modern age, which is if you think about something enough, if you want something enough, if you drive your energy, I don't even know what that means, but if you drive your energy towards an idea enough, you can manifest that into existence. That is not a Christian practice. That is not a Christian idea. That is not what fasting is referring to. And the last thing I'm going to say over what fasting is and what fasting is not is to say this. We do not fast for a reward. When one fasts, you are not looking to receive something. It is a gift. It is an offering. It is a self-sacrificial act. It is not something that you seek to just be rewarded. An example of this, one of my favorites in all scriptures, when Esther calls for all of the Jews to be in praying and in fasting for her as she goes to approach the king. But she adds a caveat there. She doesn't say, oh, fast and pray so that bad things don't happen to me. She says, fast and pray that the Lord will be over this and I'm gonna go forward. But if I die, I die. And that's all there is to it. So now we have a little bit more of an understanding of what fasting is and what fasting is not. So I'd like to give the first point. And that is, and we'll find in verse 16, fasting reveals the heart. Verse 16 reads, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, all the kids in the room, let me see a show of hands. Where are my kids in the room? All right, put your hands back down. Raise your hands, kids, if you know the fruits of the Spirit. Have you heard of the fruits of the Spirit? You've heard of them? Can anyone name all nine? We'll see if we can do it together. Shout out, the fruits of the Spirit. Go for it. Bible drill, y'all. Bible drill. Now, (laughs) you heard it from them. Let me just reiterate what they've already said. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. You might say, Xander, we're talking about fasting, and now you're talking about fruit. Well, I'm really glad that got a laugh. That would have made me sad otherwise. These are the fruits of the Spirit, meaning when you are within the Spirit, these are the fruits that you will produce. When you are with the Lord and you are walking with the Lord, you will show love, you will show joy, you will show patience and kindness. Let me ask you this, though. Have any of you ever said to somebody or heard somebody say to you, I'm sorry for what I did when I was hungry? Maybe you have used this, uh, a popular modern word, it combines the word angry and hungry, into one beautiful creation, hangry. My question to you, as we look at this text and understand that fasting is something that reveals the heart, is when the grace of food is removed, what is left? The hypocrites, when they don't eat, they look gloomy. They disfigure their faces and they're looking for your attention. They're looking for their fellow man to say, what's wrong? And for them to say, I'm fasting for these reasons. Look at my piety. Look at how much I love the Lord. Reveal how much you love me right now. Revere me in this moment. Be impressed. For I have not eaten for many moons because I am so dedicated to truth. They will receive their reward when their fellow man says, accolades, impressed. But that is the end of their reward. Because fasting in and of itself is not a reward. Fasting in and of itself, as we just talked about, is not some mechanism that makes you more holy. Fasting is something that reveals what is inside. When you do not have the blessing of food, the way in which you treat one another, the way in which you treat yourself, the way in which you think of other people comes forward. And so... I would like to point out that to anyone who fast with the intention of being gloomy, with the intention of receiving something from others, that they are fasting with an intention, excuse me, they are not fasting with an intention. They are fasting for attention. We are not to seek the attention of others. We are to seek the intention of the Lord. So when we fast, we do not disfigure our faces. When we are in prayer to the Lord, when we are petitioning him in such a way, we are not to be gloomy and we are not to be self-pleasers or to look for the attention of others, but to go with the intention of those prayers to the Lord. This means that there is no spiritual benefit of any kind to fasting outside of fasting itself. I'm sure you've heard of intermittent fasting. It means you don't eat for a certain period of time, so I'm sure that if you're fasting, there is some physical reward somewhere in there. But there's no innate spiritual reward. And this leads us to verse 17, and my second point, which is we must be hungry for the relationship, not, air quotes here, righteousness. Verse 17 says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Righteousness is not something that we seek 
from our faith as its own reward. We are not Christians for the sake of righteousness. Our righteousness comes from Christ. So we pursue the Lord, and it is through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, through his saving work on the cross, that we receive his righteousness. We do not seek to add to our righteousness. We do not seek to find righteousness ourselves. We seek the righteousness of Christ and Christ alone. And so when we fast, we should anoint our heads. That's just a different way of saying, like, you shampoo. Little kids in the room, middle schoolers especially, that means deodorant. That means you dress well and you go about your day. You're not looking for the attention of men. If people realize, they realize. If they don't realize, they don't realize your attention is on the Father where it should be. That some people might cheer you on. Some people might say, well, you really shouldn't. They're neither here nor there. That your issue with fasting, or I should say, your desire for fasting and prayer is focused solely on the Lord. The hypocrites, they're gloomy. They're looking for attention. And they're probably pious people. They probably were the religious elites, the Pharisees. They're looking for you to know how much time they spend in prayer. They're looking for you to know how much they love the Lord. Recognize how much I love the Lord. Our Lord is saying, it's not for other people to know. It's for our relationship to know. I'm sure everyone in this room who is married or has dated to any serious level knows that there is a public dimension to your relationship and there is a private dimension to your relationship. The private dimension is far more important to your relationship than the public. That does not mean the public does not matter, but that means the private is prioritized. And so when we look at this, we realize that there is a secretism almost to fasting. To some degree, we should be secretive. And this is our reminder that all of our actions must be focused on the Lord because fasting in and of itself has a function. We've talked about that fasting isn't a mechanism for rewards or things of that nature, but it does have a function in your heart. And that function is this. Your hunger is something you can't forget about. I don't care how distracted you get, you might forget about being hungry for a little while, but your stomach will remind you. A hungry tummy cannot be ignored. It is that biological reminder that sends you back into prayer. If you're fasting, and you're just fasting, so you're just not eating food, and you go about your business as if it's normal, and you say, well, I'm fasting, so I don't need to take a lunch, so I'm just going to keep working straight through lunch. I get more hours that way. Whatever your perspective be, you'll be more productive. That is not achieving the end of fasting. The end of fasting is to say that every moment that you go, oh man, I'm hungry. I really wish I had tacos today for lunch. It is to also remember in that moment, oh, that's right, I didn't eat tacos today because I'm in fasting. And I'm in fasting because I'm in prayer. It is this reminder that keeps us constantly in the word. And the second thing I'm going to say is that if you're merely ignoring the benefits of being constantly in prayer, then you will miss out on the fact that fasting in and of itself becomes an intensifier to prayer 
because of how long you are in prayer. Your constant focus will remain on that in which it should be. Which means, if you are like the hypocrites, seeking the accolades, the righteousness to be perceived by others in your life, then you will receive just that reward. But if you are fasting for the sake of being in deep prayer, constantly walking with the Lord, every moment that you think, I'm hungry, you then return back into prayer for whatever duration of time you are then enabled. You will then be able to spend more time with the Lord in a private relationship. This isn't something that should be thrown about for people to recognize within you. So when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, keep your relationship with your Lord between the two of you. And this leads us to the third point for us this morning, and that is we fast for a heavenly recognition. So we've talked a lot about the fact that these hypocrites deeply desired the attention of others. And Christ points out in verse 17, you're not looking for the attention of others, you're looking for my attention. Because I love you and you are called to love me. In fact, he loves us so much that he died for us so recognize our love to one another. And that means in verse 18, we will see that our reward is that of a heavenly recognition. Verse 18, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, some of you might be thinking, earlier you said fasting is not a reward. We don't go for a reward in fasting. 100%. Absolutely. I maintain that. I'm saying recognition, not reward. That your relationship with the Lord will be strengthened as you commit to fasting and to praying. We receive, and I condensed it down to three, and I'm sure that we could list almost eternally all the benefits of being constantly in prayer and being committed to the practice of fasting to intensify your prayers, to constantly keep yourself attuned to the reasons that you need to be in prayer. And the three that I came up with were humility, and that goes back to um, the graces of in Galatians, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is to say that the fruits of the Spirit, when the grace of food is removed, what your heart reveals about how you really think, how selfish we really are, how much we desire to just satiate the feelings of each moment. Because I want food. All I'm thinking about is how much I want food. You're thinking I'm thirsty. I don't care what anyone has to say about how good or a bad of a day it's been. I don't really want to spend time in prayer. I'm daydreaming about food and water because it is a need. How much more of a spiritual need do we have for the Father than we do a spiritual need for Big Macs? I would say infinitely so. And so it gives us humility to recognize our hearts, what they cry out for, and what we should truly be focused on. The second is the natural consequence of fasting, therefore making time in your schedule, therefore spending more time in prayer, and constantly being reminded that you should be in deep prayer during this time, is the fact that you get more time with the Father. You get more time, more quality time, more intentional time. And that is something that cannot be understated. The third is a heavenly perspective. As you become more humble... 
as you realize all of your faults and the infinite amount of them, you realize your own selfishness, your own lacks of the fruits of the Spirit, as your heart is revealed, and you spend more time with the Father. You are not only realizing how low you are, but how great he is. And in that chasm of divide, in that infinite wealth of how great the Lord is, we are then able to receive a much more biblical perspective of all matters. You might begin fasting and praying with an outcome in mind, with a desire, a perspective of what you want to see come to fruition. And that is what you are deeply and earnestly praying for. And in this process, you might come to realize that you might have plans, but that God had greater still. That you might have had an idea of what you wanted to be doing in five years and the way you wanted to family plan and how your finances should be scheduled in such a way. And then you realize that God's plans were infinitely greater than yours, but you couldn't see them because you had your perspective and not God's perspective. You might have heard of John Wesley. He created um, Methodism effectively. He had, a, he had a rule, he had a regulation um, for hiring new pastors. And this rule was he would not hire a single person who was not dedicated to fasting and praying at least once a week. When asked why he had this idea, this is why they're called Methodists, because they had a methodology for the practice of the faith. And he said, if someone loves food more than they love prayer, they shouldn't be a minister, at least in any church in which I have a say over. Now, that is not a biblical requirement. That is not a biblical obligation. However, it does point to the idea of a truth. And that idea is, do you truly seek the Lord? Christ says, but when you fast, not but if you fast. Scripture never says it is obligatory. You must do this. You must do this in this way, in these ways. Although it's mentioned over 70 times in the Bible, if you go through the epistles, there are very few mentions of how you are to fast or to pray. There are examples of people fasting and praying. It is a subtle difference, but a necessary difference for us to point out. Because we are people of the book here at Redeemer. We are bound to the words of our Lord, and we are to follow them as best that we possibly can, which is to understand that to those of us who have the ability to fast, we should. To those who cannot, you should not. There's a minister of the gospel who died relatively recently. In his later years, he lamented the fact that he was no longer able to fast. Because during his late 70s and early 80s in ministry, he was still working at a church. He said, if I were to fast, I would lose the strength that I need to get the work done I've been called to do. In his younger years, he loved to fast. He enjoyed fasting. In fact, this pastor um, started in Methodism and ended up in a non-denominational church. But he was always committed to fasting at minimum one day per week. But as he aged, he realized to forego food would forego his ability to serve the Lord well. There was no lamenting. There was no sin in that. There was only the sorrow of his own heart that he was not able to continue practicing fasting in such a way that would be beneficial to his own heart. And that is to give us this point, that fasting is something of a tool to sharpen us. It is something that hones the edge of our spiritual blade. All knives are knives, right? 
all knives are knives, all blades are blades. It doesn't matter how sharp or blunt something is. Trust me, just ask TSA. They'll let you know. If it looks like a knife, it's a knife, even if it's blunt. And to those of you in this room who use knives consistently, whether in the kitchen, scissors for art projects, knives on a job site, for whatever reason, woodworkers and chisels, few things are more frustrating than when you reach for a tool that needs its edge and it is blunt. Because not only could it not achieve that task which you are seeking for it to do, but it's probably going to make a mess of it along the way. In that same way, we must remember that through practices like fasting, we are sharpened and we are honed. When we fast, we are not like the hypocrites. We are not gloomy. But we are so dedicated to our relationship with the Lord that we seek out that time with him on our own. If you are caught in fasting, it's a weird way to phrase that, but just to make sure no one leaves this room confused because of the secrecy of fasting that the Lord refers to here, our Father who is in secret, rewards you in secret. If someone says, hey, let's grab lunch, and you say, ah, I can't grab lunch, and I say, well, what about tomorrow? And you say, uh, I'm fasting, actually. There's no harm there. There's no foul because you did not go to that person and say, hey, psst, ask me for lunch tomorrow. Oh, I can't. Ask me, ask me for Tuesday. I'm fasting. You caught me. Clearly there the heart issue is. Our God is always chiefly concerned with our hearts. And the heart that is denying itself for the sake of sharpening itself to the Lord to grow in humility to increase our time in prayer, to use our own biological hunger clock as something that drives us deeper into his will is something that we should not ignore. It should be a practice that we do. The irony here is I will not know, I should not know, if you are practicing fasting. And that is a blessing because it's not for me to know if you do it. It's between you and the Lord to know the time that you spend in prayer, the dedication that you give to God. For he is in secret. He is only known when he makes himself known. He is the invisible God. Christ is the invisible made visible. And it is Christ saying here at the Sermon on the Mound that the Father who is in secret rewards that which is done in secret. If you're thinking there's no benefit to you denying yourself food for the sake of prayer, for the sake of seeking the Lord, know that there is a reward. And that reward is not something in which you get what you want, that you're able to sway the decisions or the will of the Lord. It is to say that you will be driving yourself into a closer relationship with God. To go back to Moses the Ethiopian, that guy that I referred to at the beginning, a bad, bad dude. He has a fantastic quote, and I think that it gives great illumination. His life was dedicated to aestheticism. All of his disciples were dedicated to fasting and to praying and to rejecting anything the world offered for just earthly pleasure. They rejected it because they wanted to only seek the heavenly realm. And he had this quote, and I hope that it encourages you this morning. He said, you fast, but Satan does not eat. You labor fervently, but Satan never sleeps. The only dimension with which you can outperform Satan 
is by acquiring humility, for Satan has no humility. We can't outwork Satan. We can't outsmart Satan. We are not greater than the demonic realms, and that's fine. It doesn't bother me at all, because I know who goes before me. I know who comes behind me, and I earned none of it. To those of us in this room who are believers, this passage of Scripture reminds us that when we do anything, we do it for the Lord and for the Lord alone. That if people are to discover the things that we do in secret for the sake and the benefit of our Lord, that that means nothing because it wasn't done for their attention. They discovered it. That's okay. Pastor Gabe bragged a couple weeks ago about how many of the people of this church have given in secret and said, hey, I want to give this, but no one gets to know it was me. Don't ever let them know it was me. This is for them through the church. And that is the right mentality, that is the right heart. If they were to somehow discover who it was that gave the gift, that does not diminish the heart in which you gave the gift. And so when you fast, when you dedicate yourself to the Lord, don't look gloomy. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't look for the attention of other people because that's not the attention that we desire. And for those of you in this room who are not believers, who are not Christians, who do not know the truth and the hope that is in Christ Jesus. Realize that as Christians, we have really no reason to be gloomy. We have no real reason to stay in deep sorrow, although there are seasons of gloom and there are seasons of sorrow. But we have an eternal hope. If that is a hope that you do not have, I implore you, come to know the fact that at some point, everyone will face their end. Moses, the Ethiopian, made it clear that he lived by the sword and he deserved to die by the sword. His life was dedicated to the desire that other people would come to see the truth of Jesus Christ. If you do not know Christ Jesus this morning, or if you are living in such a way that you are like a hypocrite, or you are one who just does not truly practice the faith as our Lord has called you to, restore your relationship. I'm not telling you to restore your Christian ideas or practices, although I do want those to happen in time. I'm asking for you to remember that Christ comes first. Become right with the Lord in prayer. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know how to do it, talk to our elders. Pastor Gabe will be down there after the service Talk to any single believer here and we'll show you how much Christ radically changes everything for all of your life. And I would like to conclude our time this morning by saying this. It's a question. It's a hypothetical question. If your spiritual food and your physical food were reversed, so instead of a hot dog, you spent time in the Word. Instead of spending time in the Word, you had a hot dog. If those two things were reversed, how many people do you think would still be alive in this room today? How many people are truly, fully, spiritually filled? My next question is, would it be you? And I'm not saying to a point in which you would not be starving, but to a point in which you'd be thriving. The most important thing that we can be filled with is the word of God 
And while we do need food to survive, and this is no message saying that you should stop eating to any regard, but it is to say that when you fast, when you dedicate yourself to the Lord, dedicate yourself purely to him and not for any other reason, because he is the reason for all that we do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for days um, and mornings like this when we get to worship you. I pray that you will be um, with everyone in this room who is questioning if they are being called to salvation through you, that you will move in them, encourage them to know your truth. Father, to all of us in this room,